pray with me? And let's worship the Lord through prayer. Father, thank you so much for being a, a God who is worthy of our praise, that when we sing a song like, How Great Is Our God, and thank you that you're beyond our comprehension, that we, we don't know how truly great you are. We have glimpses of how great you are. We see your, your goodness and, and your creation around us. We see your, your magnificent love in, in Christ. We see your, your willingness to, to rescue us through his life. We feel your presence through your Holy Spirit and when we commune with you. But God, we truly don't fully know how great you are. I look forward to the day when we, like Isaiah in chapter 6, when we're before you in holiness and in your power, we fall down at your feet because we are in the full presence of God. What a wonderful day that will be when you raise us up children. God, we love you, we praise you, and as we encounter you through your word tonight, remind us in a powerful way that we are people of hope. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, at this time, I would like to invite Lindsay, I'm looking for a microphone, I'd like to invite Lindsay to come on out and do tonight's scripture reading. So you can join us in Romans chapter 8. And Lindsay will take us from there. A reading from the New Testament letter of Romans 8, 24 to 25. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We're continuing our sermon series tonight, as Pastor Larry mentioned, called Victory. And we're taking victory all the way to Easter until we start a new series. But even when we start a new series, we're going to focus on victory this year. Um, tonight, we're focusing on the main idea. The big idea is that we are a people of hope. I want to show you a picture. You want to see a picture? Yeah, you do. Let's see a picture. I want to show you a picture. I said picture like five times, which is way too many times. Show me a picture up here. There we go. Does anybody know where this is? I know where it is, but do you know? It's a fairly famous place. You can guess out loud if you want to take a risk. It is Canada. And it is called uh, Morant's Curve. And so this is a beautiful picture. I found it this week. And those are the Canadian Rocky Mountains at the top. This is... Uh, Beautiful uh, evergreen trees covered in snow, and there's a river called Bow River. This is in Alberta, Canada, and uh, there's what every kid seems to be fascinated with, a big freight train. I'm still fascinated with trains. I go on the subway. I'm like a little kid. Not every time, because sometimes it's crowded, and I'm ready to get off of there. But trains are fascinating, and I, I saw this, and you can see all these great details in the picture, but what you don't have to do when you observe this picture is hope to see mountains. They're there. You can see them. You don't have to hope to see snow or the trees or the train. right? You don't have to conjure up this faith within you to see what is there. It is seen. It's observable. We don't hope to see it because we see it. 
We are people of hope. We're not simply, as Christians, people to come along and observe what's going on around us and make stances on them, observations about them. But we are called to be a people of hope, and hope is in what we cannot see. I want to read again in hope, uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 24, and I want to look at that scripture up here with you. It says, For in hope we have been saved or rescued, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? Another way to say this is we are saved in hope. We are rescued in hope. But hope isn't hope if you can see it. Who hopes for what they have seen? So hope is in the unseen. And I want to ask you tonight this question that's going to pop up here. And the question is, what do you hope for? What is it that you are hoping for in your life? What drives you to keep going? What do you hope for when you're struggling? What do you hope for when you're celebrating? Who is the one that brings you the most joy in your life? Who's the one that you share everything with? Who inspires you? When you're away from this person, what you want to do is be with them. And so when you're away from them, all you hope to do is to be in their presence. Now, if that question were answered by all of us, I'm sure we would have many different answers. But when I answer that question, I see this right here. (laughs) This is a picture of my dog, Carly. And while it's meant to be funny, she actually does bring a lot of joy in our family's life. Um, It's meant to be funny. But... You're going to have to take that picture down because I, I can't, I'll be distracted too much to go any further. Um, she's just that cute. I'm really uh, serious here. But, um, but my spirit is, is lifted. It, it is weird. It's lifted when I'm around her. But my spirit, as much as it's lifted then, when I am here in this place right now, when I'm worshiping Jesus with my church family, exponentially different. I need this. I need to worship Jesus. The disciples, if we look back into life, they were with Jesus one day, having this intimate last supper with him. The next day, Jesus was crucified, and it was tragic for them. He came back a few days later miraculously. And then about 40 days later, or 40 days later exactly, he was gone again. But he promised to send them the Holy Spirit. And also he made another promise that he was going to return again and he was going to bring the kingdom of God with him. You see, they hoped for Jesus to return because they could no longer see him. They could remember him. They longed for him. They hoped for him. Just like we hope to be with the ones that we love. While we don't see Jesus or we didn't see him personally, many of the people who wrote the New Testament did. We hope to be in a world that's free from death, disease, and sickness. Amen? Amen. The disciples saw Jesus conquer that death, and they hoped and expectantly waited for Jesus to come and do that for them too. Most of us wish that all the fighting and arguing in our world would just stop, right? Enough is enough. So we, like the disciples, we hope for the day when Jesus comes back And he brings peace that will last for an eternity. We haven't seen his promise fulfilled yet. But just like Paul, who wrote this letter of Romans, 
We hope for it because God has never broken one of his promises. And that's good news. My Connect group meets on Tuesday nights, and it's called The Gospel in Music. And we look at particular popular songs and discover their original meanings. And it's been enlightening to, and actually fun, to see what some songs really mean and how we often misinterpret them. We learned two words together. Uh, the words are exegesis and eisegesis. So I want to talk about that for just a moment. It'll pop up on the screen here magically. All right. Exegesis is this. It's a critical explanation or interpretation of a text, particularly a religious text. Eisegesis is the process of interpreting a text in such a way that the process introduces one's own presuppositions, which means you're, what you're assuming beforehand, or supposing beforehand, literally, our agendas or biases into, so we put them into or onto the text. A common way to look at it is this. Exegesis strives to find the original meaning of the author to the original audience, and it answers this question. What does it mean to them in an objective manner? That's exegesis. Eisegesis places value on my feelings in the moment and my interaction with the text, and it's more subjective in its interpretation, and it answers the question, what does this mean to me now? You see the differences? Exegesis versus eisegesis. For interpreting the Bible, we want to make sure that we use exegesis to find out what it means to them then. We want to find out because we can have huge errors that lead to eternal consequences if we just determine that we're going to interpret the Bible however we want to do that. There are some songs and there are certain types of art where eisegesis is either okay or it's desired. Some of the arts are designed to inspire you to to, to let your feelings and your thoughts take you on a journey. So when you're talking about entertainment or arts or, or things like that, it's okay and it's actually good and right in certain places to do Jesus. How does this make you feel? But when it comes to interpreting Scripture, it can have devastating consequences. This past, uh, this, this is the last week actually for our, our second term this year, or this is term three, term four, two? What term are we going to? Anyway, we've had two this year, January and February, and this is the last week this week of uh, our Connect Groups. So uh, I want you to use this as, as an opportunity to bring someone this week to get a taste of what a Connect Group is like. So you can refuse to come along this week on this last week of Connect Group. Sunday is just not enough. This little bit of time that we spend together is not enough. We need to learn more and we need to have deeper relationships with one another to develop an authentic community. So connect with a group and bring somebody with you. These two verses that Lindsay's read, if taken alone, they don't tell us enough. They don't tell us what it is that we're hoping for. So like a song's chorus that we look at, a chorus may not be enough to give us the information we need in order to properly discover what that song's meaning is. So what we have to do is look at the verses as well. There's a group called The Police. You may know the lead singer, Sting. And there's a song that they do, Every Breath You Take. I'll spare you singing it. Although I think I could do pretty close, but I won't do it. Pride is, you know, I'm tempted, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to squash that idea. But, but most people don't realize that this song, Every Breath You Take, is not a romantic, lovely song, but it's a song about a stalker. 
who is watching over every move she makes, every breath she takes. In fact, this song has many times been played at weddings, and I hope you don't play it at yours. This is weird. Did Siri just say you can say that again? That is awesome. What a perfect time for that. So I want us to take a look at these two verses. We're going to pretend like we just opened up our Bible to 8, 24, and 25. And we're just going to look at these two verses and just rip them out of the Bible and look at them. Okay, here we go. For in hope we have been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes in what he already sees. Next verse. But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. So what it is that we're hoping for isn't in these two verses by themselves. If we simply let ourselves fill in the blanks with whatever one may hope for, then what's us to keep us from placing all of our hope into our beautiful, amazing, and loyal dog? Nothing. What is it that's keep us from hoping to find romantic bliss when we find that special, perfect someone? So if we only jump in and we take quotes from the Bible... We're in danger of creating a false religion that will lead us to death while we think we are partaking of eternal life. So what is Paul talking about here in these two verses? What hope is he speaking of? What hope has rescued and saved us? What is unseen that we're hoping for? What are we eagerly waiting on? And we get our answer from the text that we studied last week. In the verses right before this one, and we'll walk through them together. Chapter 8, verse 18, Paul said, For I considered that the sufferings of this present time, they're not worthy of being compared with the glory that is to be revealed to, and to also means for us, if we remember that from last week. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God which is talking about the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of this, the Holy Spirit, even we ourselves grown within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our full adoption as children, the sons and children, which we've discussed that too, that sons doesn't mean males only, but it means the inheritors. And so today that means every male or female that belongs to Christ, we are his children. We are yearning for that adoption, which is the very last thing the redemption of our body. So what we're hoping for is this. We are hoping for the glory that is to be revealed for us. We are hoping for creation. Or creation is actually hoping for us as well, and they're crying out with anticipation for the children of God to be put over authority again as it originally was. We're hoping because we know the promise that God is going to use us to change the world when the Lord resurrects us and He glorifies the children of God. We're hopeful because the Lord's going to restore the creation again to perfection, which is great news. 
and we will be the ones in, uh, to inherit the, world, the new world, and we're going to rule over it together as co-heirs with Christ. Isn't that amazing? We're going to be royalty. The way the Lord originally created the world with God in authority and mankind serving over all creation under His authority. So our current groanings for our bodies to be redeemed and healed from disease and sin and its effect of death will be no more. We will no longer groan in in anticipation. We will experience in full what it means to be a child of God. That, that stuff, those details, those are what we're hoping for. That's what drives us. We hope and believe that we have been rescued. We've been rescued now, and one day we'll be fully rescued with the world as well. When a Christian says, I've been saved, they're saying, I've been, or I've given my life to Jesus, and I've received the forgiveness of sin, and I've received eternal life through him. A Christian who says that says, death will die for all God's children when the Lord returns. This is the hope of being saved and rescued. So our hope is not in an earthly king. Our hope is not in Caesar, as it was for most everyone to whom Paul wrote this letter as they were in the church in Rome. There were probably just a handful or a couple of dozen of Christians when he wrote this letter to them. It wasn't a big church. It was, there were less Christians in Rome per capita than any, probably, well, I don't know if anywhere in the world and research that, but less than New York City. There were hardly anybody there that, that followed the Lord. So we don't hope in Caesar. We don't hope in the president, whoever he is or whoever he will be or she will be. I caught myself. I did good, Lindsay. You're proud of me, aren't you? (laughs) We don't hope in our good works that if we do enough good, we'll be pleasing to God and we'll be able to go to heaven. That's not our hope. We hope in something much more valuable, something that was, is, and will be tangible. Our hope is in the Son of God. Our hope is in Jesus who physically came to earth and lived among us, who physically died for us, and who physically rose from the dead to bring life to all who believe in Him. This is the Savior that we hope to come again and restore the world. So we're a people of hope. That's who we are. Because the King Jesus is coming for us one day, and He's going to give us the promotion of a lifetime. The promotion of a lifetime, because He's going to glorify you and me and every person that confesses Jesus as Lord and Savior. Jesus is the Lord of the world. No matter what's going on in here, out there, wherever, He's the Lord of the world. Whether someone acknowledges Him as Lord or not doesn't change what Jesus claims and what we believe. We believe that He is Lord, and one day we believe every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that He is Lord. So if Jesus today is your Lord... Now, I have news for you. That's good. You ready? You are a person of hope. If Jesus is your Lord, then you are a person of hope. Even if you don't feel like it. You are a person of hope. Remind yourself of the hope you have. Realize that you are, this is important, you are who God says you are, not who your feelings say you are. And then, Let's finish the race called life and let's give it everything we have. And I want to look one more time at Romans chapter 8, verse 25. But if we have, but if we hope for what we do not see, 
with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. You can leave that up there. I want you to circle. You can't circle on the screen because that would leave a mark and it would mess up next week. But circle in your Bible or highlight or memorize it. Do whatever. That word perseverance. That is an important word for us to understand. Paul knows that living as a person of hope doesn't mean that everything is going to go your way. You're going to face challenges. Everything is not going to go your way. Life is difficult and is filled with challenges, but it's also filled with something else that's not just a challenge. It's filled with sacrifices. We have to make sacrifices. No longer we don't sacrifice lambs that we have to. I'm not talking about that. But I'm saying following Jesus is hard, and it means that we give up certain things in order to follow Him. We don't just do whatever we want to do. We do that in relationships, in any marriage, you're going to have to sacrifice any healthy marriage. Any relationship with a child, you're going to have to sacrifice as the parents. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The question we have to answer is, are the sacrifices that we're making worth it? I heard an interesting perspective this week when it comes to childbirth that it felt like the world was going to end during labor. That I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And then after seeing the baby, it still feels like, I, I survived, I did it, I don't know how I did it. But then you see that little baby, and you're like, as difficult as it was, it was worth it. And he, there's a reason he uses child as, you know, birth pains as, a, as an illustration is because the life we live in now is filled with those type of birth pangs where it's hard being a Christian. So I'm not here saying that you need to leave and you know, skip and jump and smile wherever you go. But I am saying that when we focus on Jesus, when the birth pangs come, we're going to persevere through them. And we're going to be people of hope because we know that what we're going through is worth it. So is what you're, the sacrifices you're making, are they worth it? There's one amen right there. I believe that following Jesus and making those sacrifices in order to follow him are more than worth it. Our goal as a Christian isn't to create a pre-heaven existence free from adversity in this life right now. But our goal is to seek God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's a difference. One tells us to escape the world over here into utopia. The other says to engage the world over here. You see the difference? I want to escape a lot of times, okay? When times get tough, I'm like, I would love to go. To, I go to St. John all the time. You've probably heard that before. I don't go there all the time. I go there mentally. I've been there once or twice, but mentally I'm there all the time because that's my happy place. I love going there. It's perfect, but I mentally go there sometimes because I want to escape the difficulties of life. But that's a trap. God hasn't called me to escape. He empowers me to engage. So we don't run away from the problems. We run into the problems. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Persevere. Keep going. Remember to hopefully anticipate that one day 
Jesus is going to transform this world in such a way that no sacrifice you've made, no suffering you've endured, no loss that you've encountered will be able to compare to the glory that will be revealed for us. That was a good place to say amen. I realize we're not that kind of church, but I I think I should spur you. Say amen. Amen. That's going to be worth it. One day when he comes back, we're going to see him in his glory, and it's going to be amazing. Be like, what sacrifice did I make? It doesn't matter. Jesus endured, and he gave everything that he had. He endured hostility from sinners and persevered all the way to the cross. And we see this in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1, 2, and 3, but we'll focus on verse 3 right here. Because in order to persevere, you need to consider Jesus, who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself. He endured the hostility from them against himself in order to save the ones that were hostile toward him. I, I honk at people when they frustrate me on the road. I don't want to give up my life for them. Jesus faces rage with grace. And when we look at him, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. George Washington Carver said, where there is no vision, there is no hope. And if you've lost hope today, it's because you've lost the vision of what God is doing for you in Jesus. Because when we have that vision before us, which is what chapter 8, verses 18 through 25 is all about, this glorious vision of God recreating and redeeming the world, if you keep that before you, you will not lose hope. When we look to Jesus, we remember what he endured. We identify with his struggles and say, God knows what I'm going through because he went through it. We also see the heart of God like, whoa, you really love me. He loved me enough to endure the weight of my sin, not just the sin of the world, but make it personal too. Yes, for the world, but for me. And he did it for the joy that was set before him. There was hope. He knew we were on the other side of this. It is this God that we worship. It is this God of justice and mercy and truth and love and all these other things. It is him who's made this promise to his children that I'm coming back. I'm coming back for you. He's going to blow our minds with his presence. You ain't seen nothing yet. But baby, you just ain't seen nothing yet. No, 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 nothing yet. Some of you know what that song is. I wasn't stuttering. I was doing it on purpose. We're going to be blown away by his presence. It's going to be amazing. And there's going to be this new heaven and new earth. This is what we're hoping for. This is what keeps us going. This is what causes us to persevere. We long and we hope for a Savior and King to return, and He's going to glorify us. We're not going to have like this substandard living quarters. I've heard people say growing up in the South, they say, well, I just want to get to heaven, and I hope that I have like a little trailer over here in the corner. You know, we have trailers a lot there. That way you can move easier. (laughs) Thank you. So uh, some people say, I just want to do that. And we're like, no, 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 that is such a wrong idea of heaven. You are a glorious child of God. You're not going to barely make it into heaven. If your faith is in Christ, we're going to be glorified in heaven. We are going to rule and to reign as co-heirs with Christ. But until that day, we persevere in the victory we already have, and we live by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
We persevere and we serve our neighbors. We encourage one another to persevere. We proclaim the good news of Jesus to everybody we know. We have those awkward conversations and we suffer and we take a risk and we go and we tell them about Jesus. And we remember, we remember that there is hope for the world no matter what we're going through because of Him. All of these reasons, this is why we are a people of hope. Remember Jesus is Lord. Keep your trust and keep your hope in Him. He will never let you down. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you that you are a God of of promise. We thank you that you are a God of hope, that you have not left us alone. We thank you, Jesus, for as you ascended to heaven and reign in full authority there, we thank you that you sent the Holy Spirit to live within your people. So may we not diminish what you have done for us, and may we become a powerful, persevering people of hope. Give us a vision of what you're going to do for us so that when we are tempted to lose hope, we will seek you and trust you and rise to the occasion by your power. In Jesus' name, amen.